This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Leadership Platform, Multiplying Leaders, Moving Society. I'm Adrian Grunewald. Wonderful to be with you. Look forward to this conversation today. We've got two great leaders in the studio. Um, I'll introduce them in a moment. Go to leadershipplatform.com for all things leadership. Two P's in the middle, of course, one word. Our Leadership Masterclass today on the Leadership Platform, we have two executives from McDonald's, South Africa, Joanne DeVette, Chief Operations and Supply Chain Officer, and we've got Bridget DeGama, Chief People Officer. So two executives from this iconic brand, and we decided to pull both of them in and have a conversation about authentic leadership and to go beyond that even. You know, what are the challenges in the workplace and much more? They're both very experienced individuals and leaders. So welcome to our show, both of you. Thank Good you. morning. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to have you with us. We're sitting at the McDonald's. This is your head office. Yes, it is. Did it move over the last while? Yes, I it has. To, when I met um, Solomon, your CEO, it was another place. I yes, think. it was in the Woodbeat area. So what we're going to do, as always, we've asked each of them to prepare a couple of statements that to them best describe authentic leadership, and we'll just have a conversation around those points. Uh, and, and, of course, we, we take that content and spread it on social media. This will play on Cliff Central Live Monday, and we also put it on our leadership platform app. Joanne, we're going to kick off with you. But first of all, you've been at McDonald's. You, you kind of came through the ranks. Gee, just now you were telling telling me before the show, you were there from the start, which was when, 90? So, it was, so I joined McDonald's on the 1st of October, 1995. McDonald's opened its first restaurant in Blackheath Cresta on the 11th of November the same year. So McDonald's has been in South Africa, and it was big panic, a lot of panic when they came. And in the end, I don't think that was necessary. It just improved service and Suddenly, everyone's got drive-through. So it made a difference in the industry, I would say. But So it's been around 95, 2005, 20... Almost 23 years. years. Yes. Are you going to have a big bash when it's 25 years? I'm sure a quarter of a century. Um, known yes, to be three. very disruptive. <laughs> we'll definitely think of something that's disruptive, um, and that would be memorable to not just only the South Africans, but to the globe as well. Mm. Okay, fabulous. And to man. our loyal customers as well. Yeah. Uh, how do you... I'm loyal. Good. Yeah, are you able to <laughs> check... <laughs> it's like when I go to the macro Nell spread. Man, I, I must have shares in that place because always on the way to my home, which is next to Kruger, they hour on from Nell spread. They say your oh, service better be brilliant because I've invested so much in that place. I'd like to see how much I've spent there. I wonder what I've spent on McDonald's. <laughs> you can't tell, eh? Your systems aren't that... No, not yet. Not yet. We've just launched uh, our own global McDonald's app, and on that loyalty app, we'll be able to pick up your patterns. That makes sense. It'll be great if you walk in and someone says, Mr. Grunewald, you just spent 50,000 rand at McDonald's, free meal or yeah. whatever it is. All right. So, jo- Joanne, uh, you started with McDonald's. You went all the way through the ranks. We don't have to go through the detail, but you really know what McDonald's is about uh, from practical operational experience. Yes. Okay. And has it been a good it's ride? It's been an, a very exciting ride. I think I set my sights on, um, I was quite ambitious in a very um, early age since I started with McDonald's because I recognized that the culture would allow me to reach my full potential. And I had declared, I think, 1998 that I set my sights on being the first non-white local female director of operations, which um, I um, managed to achieve in 2008, if I recall. Sure. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. So you're a goal-oriented, ambitious person. 
You don't just work your backside off. You actually have goals. You actually set your sights on something. Yes, I set my sights on goals. I think in 1998, when I set my sights on being uh, a local director, I didn't realize the level of challenges that I would experience. Mm. And I embarked on it with a level of what I would refer to as naive ambition. Okay. I was naively ambitious. So ambition is good. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the words naively. I, often entrepreneurs, there are things that I've done where if I wasn't naively ambitious, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, and and uh, our lack of ignorance or our ignorance is often a good thing because then you go for it, you know. I agree. And then afterwards you go, gee, was if I knew what I know now, I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Bridget, but, but you have – sorry, go for I it. I could just add, I think sometimes in life we must give ourselves permission to be brave, yeah. to take the opportunities to have the ambition to go for our goals. Oh. And I, can I add as a set of people that what's really amazing about McDonald's is that Joanne's career is not unique. We yeah. have a number of people in our system who came in and worked their way through the ranks. They've been and around. They have achieved mm. lofty sort of um, goals. Yeah, you have a couple of stories like that, I'm sure. Yeah. Bridget, you have over two and a half decades of experience in the human capital field. Yes. Um, you started McDonald's just a few years ago, but you have experience over various industries yes. before that. Your career, quick overview. 30 seconds. So I went to the University of Cape Town. So I'm in Aiki. And then many years later, I went to the University of Stellenbosch. So I'm also a Marty. So I'm both of them. Oh, well. <laughs> and, you know, they're great rivals in, in a very friendly way. Um, but I, I went to the University of Cape Town. And afterwards, uh, as a student there, I had a VAC job um, in the Human Resources Department. And they saw my potential. And after graduating, I joined that particular department. And I ended up in my 20s as a, a senior manager, and my job was to partner with all the deans of the faculties. Mm. So I worked with um, all the academic faculties, and I had a team supporting me. And uh, all I can say about that time is it was absolutely formative. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to stretch yourself intellectually, mm. because the academics are very challenging to work with. Um, and it's a, it was just a wonderful place in terms of exposure and opportunity for growth. And then I've worked in several sectors after that. I've worked in IT. I've worked in banking. Um, I once worked in a parastatal, and part of my job was to go to parliament to do regular reports. So on a quarterly basis, you'd have to go there, and the politicians would grill you, um, and uh, grill you quite assertively, and afterwards invite you for lunch yeah, <laughs> to make up for it. It's part of the game, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I've had um, I've had a lot of um, experience uh, in in human resources. Um, I must say the experience I'm having in McDonald's. I've been here now for two and a half years, and it's been two and a half phenomenal years. Mm. I absolutely have no regrets about joining the company, and I'm loving it actually. So, is chief people officer becoming a trend out there? It is. It is very it, is much it? is. Mm. So I mean you. May know that in the old days, when HR was very unsexy, we used to call ourselves the personnel department. Yeah. Very bureaucratic, very old school. And then we evolved into human resources. And then we evolved now into human capital, you know, in time, in, in line with changing times. And now I see the new trend is that they, they're calling people CHROs, Chief Human Resources Officers. Okay. And McDonald's specifically uses the term Chief People Officer. And it really just underpins the fact that in McDonald's we are very, very people-focused. So we have to have the people in that title because that's what you do. You look after the people. Yeah. Chief people officer is much better than chief human resource officer. I mean, it just kind of 
yes. loses the momentum, CFO, yes. and all that stuff. All right, folks, I'm excited to hear your journey via your thoughts of what authentic leadership is to you. Uh, leadership is life, life is leadership. So I think we'll have a life conversation. But let's go through a couple with Joanne. Um, the first one that you shared with me that we can discuss here for a minute is hope is, is not a strategy. <laughs> I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but that's kind of what we're feeling in South Africa. We feel this hope with President Sir Ramaphosa coming in as an example, but it, that's not a strategy. Uh, so the hope, some might think, is enough but I guess you're saying it's not. Um, yes, and I found that with my journey, a lot of the people that were potentially not as successful as they could be was always looking to the then human resources department to identify them as talent, to groom them as talent. A lot of um, owners at the time um, when I started my career was placed on the human capital department to define your potential for you and then to, to map out that career for you. Mm-hmm. And for me, upon my reflection, I had not spent time wondering who's going to drive my career for me. I sought out people that could mentor me, um, individuals that could pass on job knowledge to me, to try and allow me to reach um, the target that I'd set myself um, over the over the years. Um, whether it is um, people that's going to pass on that passed on technical information, um, if that was a requirement. So it was a little bit of a combination of identifying what I wanted to achieve. Mm. Uh, secondly, identifying uh, upon self-reflection some of the gaps, taking in some of the feedback that I received from line managers at the time, mm. and then identifying whether it was something that would require me to be educated into in a little bit more detail, whether it was exposure, should I put my hand up for a little bit of exposure, or just um, demonstrating it through experience and time. So I, as an individual, must never sit back and say, I've got hope that I will one day achieve this or that. You've got to turn it into practicality. Yes, you have Mm. to act, because hope Mm. doesn't require any action but a thought and a desire. Mm. I tend to agree with that statement. I think hope is not a strategy. I think hope is helpful. Because you can have an attitude where you feel hopeless, and that is not helpful. But I don't think it's a strategy. You've got to have a plan. A plan is important, and you've got to act on your plan. Okay, so taking it one step further, we say leaders deal in hope. You know, so the word hope has lots of different contexts, I guess. In my own life, don't just hope. Although hope is a good thing. I mean, hope can sound hopeless in a way if you don't use it in the right context. But hope gives energy, especially when you come from a hopeless yes. situation. But then put a strategy around. Be bold, uh, mm. courageous, go for it um, without stepping on others, I, I would hope, you know, mm. because that can, that can leave a bit of a nasty taste and legacy. I agree. Mm. Definitely. Maybe if you step on others, that's not a very authentic thing to do. Correct. So if you want to be seen as an authentic human being, an authentic leader, do it in a way where you don't hurt anybody else. The next point that you raise, Joanne, let's talk about that, is none of us are as good as all of us. Most people might agree with that, but give us your version of that. So I think we had the benefit, and I think it, it really speaks to the culture of McDonald's. In McDonald's, we believe in being better together. Um, embracing the, diver- the diversity within our McDonald's community, be it people that we um, would engage within the communities um, in which we serve, whether it is our service providers or our suppliers um, that allow us to deliver uh, an experience to our customers, mm. or whether it is the individuals within the organization that can assist us to achieve our potential or even our families. So part of, for me at the time, um, very early in my career, I was newly married. 
Uh, when I joined McDonald's, I had a three-month-old son. I had the benefit of having um, family that supported me and allowed me to have the time to accelerate my career. Uh, and that included um, uh, individuals that were very instrumental at the time, which was my husband, Denver, and my mother-in-law, Lorraine. Um, mm. They took care of areas in my life that would be a little bit more difficult for me to have focused on um, if I wanted to accelerate my career in a very short period of time. So yeah. I think it's just acknowledging the people, whether it's in the business, whether in society, or at, on the home front, that contribute to your success. Anyone who sits back and, and, and kind of projects the image of, I did it on my own. This is all about me. And some people would say what you say, but when you really listen carefully, they think they did it on their own. And I think it's very important to acknowledge. Very, very, very good point. That keeps you humble, and you always realize it's impossible for me to achieve anything great alone. I mean, it's just impossible. I agree. Bridget? I think that uh, one of the things that McDonald's is particularly very good at is creating a sense of community. I mean, if you work within the organization, obviously, as um, human capital, we check in with uh, newbies on a regular basis, and we'll ask them, like, what's your experience been like? After three months, we'll check in with them. And typically, they say they love the culture. They love the fact that it's a very warm place. It's a very human place. It's a very friendly place. And you feel like part of a community. So we do surveys uh, with our employees every six months. We just check in how they're doing. And one of the things we find that is very dominant in a very positive way is that people love the brand. They, mm. There's a lot of brand affiliation. And so we all feel like we're part of this big, happy family. And it sounds like a cliche, but actually it's, it's the reality that we live in in McDonald's. So we're very lucky in that way. Quickly give us context. I know it's a few steps back, but the, the size of McDonald's? How many, so, how many uh, um, what do you call it? I almost said stores, employees and footprint. footprint. What is it? 259 restaurants. It um, feels bigger, doesn't it? Almost. You see the M everywhere. Yes. And yeah? then we have uh, approximately 12,000 employees. And again, you know, what are the things, you know, one of the things that drives me is like, why am I in this job? Why do I do what I do? And I really, I look for the purpose. I look for a higher purpose in terms of what... I'm doing. And one of the things I'm so proud of in McDonald's is that in this economy, we are creating jobs. Yeah. You are still creating jobs, eh? Most we, are cutting. Yes. I mean, that's We're going to create, last year we created over a thousand jobs. This year again, we'll create over a thousand jobs. It's the nature of your model, yes. which is a fabulous model. Yes, but also, you know, kudos to the owners of this business because they are investing mm. in new restaurants. So they're investing in South Africa, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, creating opportunities, because sometimes we go to remote areas, Toyando, we opened a restaurant there. And you go to an area like that and you create hope, you create opportunities for people to get employment. Mm. So it's something we're quite proud of. All right, Joanne, if you're green, you're growing. And if you're ripe, you rot. And then you've got the word curiosity in there. So for me, I found that there was no time for complacency. So um, coming through the, the ranks, the things that stood out for me is, is when I um, accelerated is when I thought I didn't know it all. And, and I paused and I thought to myself, well, you know, I can do this with my eyes closed. So what's next? What else is out there? I volunteered to be on cross-functional teams. The, the, the organization creates that opportunity for an individual like me that was based in the Western Cape with a corporate office that was based in, in Gauteng area at the time, people knew I 
who I was. My visibility was raised because I was curious. I always asked the awkward question. I always wanted to understand why we're doing the following. Um, and in that, it allowed me to generate ideas of how we could do certain things better. Mm. Um, so for, for me, it was the individuals that I found um, did not necessarily excel as well as they could. It's because they had got to a point where they were comfortable where they were at. And I was always uncomfortable. I always wanted to do more, achieve more. Mm. Um, and just being green, always having a learning orientated mind um, assisted me in advancing my career. Yeah, not all cultures or all leaders above one uh, are happy with curious questions all the time. Yes. Just do as you're told, go for it, you know. Um, and in the academic field, I remember being an older student sitting in a big classroom wanting to ask questions of these psychology professors or whatever. And, and no, everyone else just wanted to write down notes and no questions. Yeah. Just, just listen. I'm the expert. I'm telling you, mm. we need more questions. We need more curiosity in this world. For sure. Um, Bridget, do you want to add to that one? Well, I, I like that statement, you know, because I think, um, also if you look at the world we live in, it's changing so quickly, um, that if you are not curious, if you are not prepared to constantly learn, and relearn and unlearn, you'll be left behind. So being curious is very, very important. I think actually it's one of the things that can maybe differentiate whether you have a successful life and career versus not having one. There's so much to be curious about, my goodness. You know, this yes. world is exciting and interesting and yes. challenging all at the same time. And may, may I just add, like, what's really powerful about the era we live in is that it's almost with the internet you have a democratization of education because you know the major universities are now putting their coursework online. Yeah. So you want to know what's going on in a Harvard MBA? Just go and check online. So if you have that curiosity and that interest in learning, it's there. You it's can. Available. You can. It's there. It actually reminds me of something I was listening on. I won't mention the radio station. I was listening to the radio this morning and uh, the curiosity around why an airline would have three seats but only have, um, I think we said one, two, I think four armrests or three armrests. Mm. So the perception of who's leaning, whose armrest is it became so topical. And the question was, so who designed this? You know, were they thinking of the customer that's taking the seat or not? Mm. So very interesting for me at the time. Yeah, this, this new thing now is UX or was it, uh, you know, you're the, the customer experience. Yes. Just trying to think of the latest term. It's just escaped my mind. But to think absolutely from that angle rather than just forcing it down on them. Sticky floor, <laughs> sticky floor versus glass ceiling. Okay, you've got a way of saying things, I must say, Joanne. <laughs> so tell us about sticky floor versus glass ceiling. So very, so I think in the latter part of my career, I discovered that, you know, there was a lot of talk at, at um, senior, uh, uh, senior levels or almost at exec level about um, the glass ceiling and the fact that, you know, in certain organizations, individuals couldn't advance beyond a certain point because of the, the organizational culture, the structure within the organization that did not allow um, individuals to advance. And then it made me reflect on my own journey. And, and on, upon reflection, I discovered that there was nothing within the organization that created limitations for me. There was nothing within the family sector, you know, be it um, at home, um, being, a, being now a mother of four sons, um, not then at the time, um, but there was nothing at home that prevented me from advancing, nothing within the organization. But the times that I volunteered not 
to take up certain positions was because of elements of fear, limitations that I imposed on myself. Shucks. They think I can do it. Can I do it? Should I do it? Now I ha- I, you know, I'll go home and have a conversation with my husband. And he says, what the heck? Go for it, man. That's how you were in the good old days. So, uh, you know, put your hand up, volunteer, and move forward with a little bit more um, with being less fearful and be, um, be courageous, be brave. I think Bridget referred to that a little bit earlier on um, in her statement around boldness, bravery. Um, so for me, it was definitely not the glass ceiling, but there were moments where I thought, hmm, can I really do this? Does the organization have too much faith in me? And will I fail them and myself? Yeah, and I guess where you are now, the question would be, what's next? You know, it, it, it becomes very thinned out at the top when, you, when you're there. Uh, and does McDonald's create opportunities globally? Uh, I mean, is it very open that way? Yes. It yes, is. it is. Um, we have individuals that um, I just think of Bridget's... Um, Ex, the ex-people officer of McDonald's had an opportunity to advance his career within um, the Middle East region. Okay. So there are a lot of individuals that either opted to become franchisees, very senior uh, um, individuals within McDonald's at the time, opted to become franchisees. Some opted to take career opportunities abroad. Um, we've had the ex-supply chain director um, that moved to the Middle East about a year ago. June, it will be about a year that you right. have, have moved across. So, yes, it does create opportunities for individuals to advance beyond McDonald's South Africa. So if you have an entrepreneurial flair and you actually want to do your own thing eventually, then potentially you could do it through the McDonald's yes. expansion. Yes. And we have many examples of that. Okay. Mm. And I, I would think who better than someone who understands the culture and something. So you, yes. you, you smile on that, do you? It's not no. You actually no. welcome that if, we it, if it happens. We smile very broadly on that. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I mean, we've got uh, examples of people. Um, we've got an owner-operator or franchise owner in the Western Cape, Jeff, uh, Jeff Hood, who worked his way through the ranks and then finally became an entrepreneur, and he runs McDonald's restaurants hmm. on a franchisee basis. So, yes, it's, it's not unusual for us. In fact, we're quite used to it in a way. I mean, globally, McDonald's employs over 2 million people, so it's big. <laughs> so there are a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of like breadth creates a lot of opportunities within the system. It's quite interesting. I, I, f- I do find a lot of leaders leave corporate for a different lifestyle, a smaller entrepreneurial environment. And, and, and it's interesting being in a big, large business where you can do that, actually just within the same environment. But then again, that's not a simpler lifestyle as seven days a week. I mean, running a restaurant, if you if you're wise, you realize that's not going to give you a nice lifestyle in in in, um, in some remote city or town necessarily. Mm. Positive discomfort. Positive discomfort. Tell us about that, Joanne, and then we'll discuss it for a moment. So, so when I think of my career, every single time, just before I got promoted to a different role, whether it was a lateral move, whether it was a promotion to take on to more responsibility – the the I would almost want to use the word the activities that took place prior to that uh, monumental change in my life was always um, took me back to a form of discomfort. Change was happening at an accelerated rate. There was an element of discomfort for myself, and then I had to decide: you either adapt, mm-hmm. or as as Bridget said, if you become if you allow yourself to become irrelevant, um, it's easy to be replaced. So, in positive discomfort for me, it was always that catalyst for change. I knew I identified that I've got to do something differently. Um, in some instances, um, partner with P 
people at a global level to try and understand how we could scale or escalate something within South Africa. I give you uh, a recent example. Uh, McDonald's to launch their own delivery service in, I think we went through a trial period in 2014, and we accelerated our delivery footprint in 2015. This year, or at the end of last year, we piloted delivery using Uber Eats. Now, under normal circumstances, people would say, but that's a very uncomfortable space to be in. You have your own logistics uh, um, medium or extension to deliver to your customers. Mm. Why would you go with what could seemingly be uh, a competitor? And part of the discomfort was to try and um, navigate myself, the team, and the organization around the thought that if we are truly customer-obsessed, one medium is to deliver to a customer through your channel, which you dictate them to use. Uh, an alternative is to say, if you're truly a customer obsessed, you know, unlock the consumer's um, potential to purchase from you and not just dictate that they use one particular channel. So mm. I've always found that when we, we, when we have moments of discomfort, it could potentially be a positive and accelerate the business and, in my case, uh, my own career. It might be a breakthrough looming. But I like what you say here, though. You say moving from no but mentality to yes how mentality. Yes. and Don't miss that part. I mean, I, I wanted to hear more about it. And that was more around when I was ever given a challenge in my career. So uh, it was about everybody would always say, no, 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 but we can't do the following. And you'd ask why. And some of the comments would be because we've never done it this way. This is how we always go about doing things. And I found it stifled any form of innovation. Uh, I think of an example. In 2008, we launched a product called Chicken Fold Over. And if you think of the kitchen setup of McDonald's, it's, it's very difficult to execute a product like that when people are conditioned to perform around a measurement called time. Yeah. Everything in McDonald's time is critical in achieving a certain experience for a customer. And at the time, a lot of the conversation around the table was, no, but we can't do the following because it is 30 seconds over the timeline that we potentially strive for in preparing a certain product. Mm. If we hadn't launched that product, we would have lost a lot of moms, believe it, that primarily are the target audience that purchased that product today. Okay. Very good practical example. But I, I see one in the middle. I, my dad, he's usually the old man on the show with me. He has something called the yes but syndrome. <laughs> so you've got no but. I mean, those guys are really, they, they're just saying no. Um, then you've got the yes how we're going to do this. Mm. But you've got the yes but. Yes, I hear you, but, you know. Mm. So that's one that, that, um, that, that I see a lot. Bridget? Yes. You want to add to, to positive discomfort? I mean, we can't grow without uh, in comfort. It's not possible. Yes, exactly. And we know that, but we still want yes. comfort, don't we? Exactly. <laughs> so I think, you know, as, as humans, we are geared towards, towards being quite habitual um, and just seeking the comfort of doing things the way you've always done it because that's the habit. But if you are open to trying new things in new ways that make you uncomfortable, that is exactly where the growth takes place. Mm. Um, I can share with you, because it's quite exciting for us, that as a brand, we're actually literally reinventing ourselves. So we have a major, major project on the go globally. It's called Experience of the Future. And it's exactly what, what it says. It's so nice to be in a business that, that is, in a way, ahead of the game, but still you're saying you are 
Yeah. Testing yourself, stretching yourself, stretching thinking ourselves. differently. I mean, our look and feel of the restaurant of the future is going to be totally different because we're reinventing it. And why are we reinventing it? Because we are customer obsessed. And it's what our customers want. So you've got to be in tune with your customers. You've got to listen to them. You've got to try and understand what they need. So I say positive discomfort. It's good. If you are irritated by every rub, <laughs> how will your mirror be polished? I, I, I don't <laughs> want to be funny, but that's such a nice statement. <laughs> I read that and I thought, yeah, I mean, I, I'm easily rubbed, you know, rubbed off the wrong way. Or how do you say it? Uh, irritated by this or irritated by that. Um, Although I'm also courageous and not scared of doing things. But, but I think this might be somewhat applicable to me. Jan, give us your version of it. If you're irritated by every rub, how will your mirror be polished? It's a, it talks to resilience, doesn't it? It does talk to resilience. And uh, it talks to, um, you know, that, that opening statement where I said, you hope is not a strategy and the fact that, you know, the naivety around my ambition. So there were irritations. There were times that I thought, oh, my gosh, this is really getting under my skin. Do I stay? Do I go? Um, and in, in some instances, it was related to um, people that I worked with. Um, I remember in the very early days, we had a franchisee that, you know, if I had to give him a gift, I'd give him the gift of dealing with people. Um, that franchisee, luckily, is no longer around, um, didn't fit in within the culture of the organization, so I made a decision to, to exit out of the business within less than 18 months of having signed on. Um, and I found that if I had to literally um, make a, an impulsive decision to leave the organization based on, you know, experiences with different people, very diverse um, ways of being authentic, if I can use that word, um, because I do believe that people are authentic even if it is not necessarily underlined with some sort of virtuous intent. Mm. So um, there are individuals that are just naturally, it's difficult for them to be kind and show kindness. And as a result, it can create um, quite a bit of uh, um, Potential turnover in the organization. Um, other irritations are, you know, this is the plan. We're going. We're forging ahead in midstream. We go, stop, not working, recalculate, go into a different direction. Um, and I found that, you know, if I had bailed out, if mm -hmm. I can use that word, um, it doesn't allow any – it wouldn't have allowed me to shine um, and advance my career. Otherwise, to our earlier conversation is the discomfort would be being extreme – and I wouldn't necessarily have recognized the positive element of some of that discomfort. Okay. I mean, resilience, I guess one of the things would mean that you're able to absorb discomfort. In mm. fact, you'll run towards it rather than yes. run away from it. But, Bridget, you've been in the space of human capital and what leaders need mm. for a long time within a very busy, exciting, dynamic brand and now as well. Um, surely resilience is a big, big thing. I attended a course yeah. the other day for a day and a half, all about resilience, just about resilience. Mm. And it just, in fact, one person then in that day and a half session, uh, Tuli, she's the HR exec of SPA. Oh, yeah, I got her on the show last week because her story is just all about resilience, from scrubbing the floors in a Soweto general dealership, small, all the way to the top and getting a PhD mm. along the way. But um, resilience, mm. is, is that a, have you seen that become more and more a thing as you develop your leaders? Absolutely. It's absolutely 
key. You know, resilience, if you could just take it and bottle it, I mean, it would be worth <laughs> quite yeah. a lot. So that is that is a key sort of like um, competency or capability that leaders need, definitely. And I mean, just in this era we're in, uh, that is so fast-paced with a lot of VUCA, you kind of like need to be resilient. But also, I think what's what's um, that story you're telling about the, the head of people at uh, SPA, it's also a story of perseverance. Yeah. Perseverance. You know, one of the things I think in South Africa, it's a very difficult environment sometimes as a country. But if you look at it, if you turn the coin around, it's a wonderful opportunity. We get to experience so many extremes. Mm. You know, we get to experience unbelievable diversity. And if you're open to the lessons that that brings, I think it will make you so resilient. And so capable in many different contexts. And it's a gift we as South Africans don't always recognize. We sometimes get irritated because people are so different sure. and, you know, um, there's a gender dynamic sometimes in the workplace and that sort of thing. In the race one and then this and that. In the race. I, I see our South Africans who's left the country. I mean, I know I'd be bored, usually outside of South Africa in many respects. Yeah. I see them getting involved in all of our debates as well. It's, it's almost like, okay, if you've left the country, why don't you leave the country alone? Uh, or if you left the country, you can almost see they've got time on their hands because they get involved in these long, I don't have time for your long debates on Facebook. Yeah. I'm part of the solution in this country. So, yes. but you do see that they might be a bit bored almost yeah. wherever they find themselves because we, we don't have a boring moment here at no, all in this country. Not at all. And, and that's not for everyone. It really isn't. Certainly, I think a lot of South Africans make it overseas to some degree also because we somehow have resilience as part of our our makeup. I think it reminds me of of a comment once made by somebody around, you know, focus on your circle of concern versus your circle of influence, because which is the one that you can impact. If you're outside of South Africa, Mm. it becomes a circle of concern. It does not necessarily mean that you are contributing to the... uh, um, to, to the debate in a more successful manner, where it's a little bit more tangible. Yeah, but mm. you think you can actually offer solutions. <laughs> and, and there's a, okay, let's listen. You know, but, yeah. but when you're on the ground, uh, please respect our views because we're on the field playing. Absolutely. We're not in, in the audience. Yeah. But a wonderful country to be in, not easy. Um, you've got here work-life harmony versus the concept of work-life balance. I think you know, we were with Adrian Ball last week. We interviewed him for an hour, yeah. spoke about leadership and much more. And he he kind of puts aside the whole work-life balance thing. His view is there is no such thing. You must be happy. And how can you – his life is family and building this beautiful empire. Mm-hmm. But your view comes seems to come from another angle. So believe it or not, I don't believe in work-life balance. Mm. But I can only speak for myself. I can only speak from my own experience. But I do believe in work-life harmony. So if I look at my the way I organize my time, in some days it could be 70%. So uh, 70% of my week could be focused on McDonald's. 70% of my time some days could be focused on just family responsibility. And I schedule my time accordingly. I'm very transparent. Um, people have access to my uh, business diary and I'll include personal as well as business commitments on in that diary um, it I think of in the in you know early in my career I probably spent 90 percent of my um, week focusing on um, honoring 
my pers- my business commitments yeah. versus some of my personal commitments. But I'd, what what has been successful is is a comment that one of my sons had made to me one year, Matthew, my third born. Um, out of the four boys that I do have, had made a comment to say to me, you know, mommy, it's not about when you're with me, it's, how, it's what we do when we're together. Yeah. So it drew me back to the, comment, the, the, the um, definition of the quality of time spent with someone where the time that I've scheduled with um, very often with my family has to be times that's important to them and not important to me. Because mm. that's where I was able to make the impact. My sons were born into a household where both parents worked. And where the mother worked um, significantly odd hours and had to travel. So my context was shaped by um, just the the family life um, that I'd created as well as the family life that cannot be disconnected from the business life. Because okay. I'm at the end of the day, oh. similar to uh, um, what Adrian Gore had said, you cannot separate who you are from any responsibility, be it business or personal. Work-life harmony versus work-life balance. Bridget, uh, um, is that kind of a reflection of, uh, maybe you can also answer, Joanne, is that a reflection of an attitude within McDonald's? Or is it your personal view? Or did that view kind of sink its way into your way of being uh, as you grew up here in, in, in McDonald's? Maybe Bridget? I think what we try to do uh, as McDonald's is appreciate the fact that the people who work here are whole human beings. So, and I think it's very important. So we have a wellness program where we try and merge work-life balance in a way. So, for instance, we will do activities like uh, participate in the walkathon in aid of raising money for breast cancer. And then we will tell employees they can invite their entire families because they're doing something good that's in the general interest of the population. At the, at the same time, they're spending quality time with their family while doing it. So for me, I think that it's very important um, that you invest in yourself. I think you've got to take care of yourself. You've got one body. It can be fragile. I mean, we almost have an epidemic of cancer out there and lifestyle diseases um, at the moment. So you've got to invest in that time in looking after yourself. I mean, what I do personally is I go to Pilates because that helps. Mm. You've got to find time to do that kind of thing. You've got to find time to just detox, I think, from your electronic equipment because we're all attached to our phones. So you've got to try and find time for that. And I think if you structure your work in a way where you work smartly, where you execute smartly um, and meet your goals and deadlines, I think it can be done. It's not either or. I think it's and. Yeah, but, but uh, it is about being happy. Yes. So I can try and balance my life usually, but I'm not happy mm. because I'm actually very happy at work. Yes. So now I'm at home irritated and I'm not making my family happy. So, you know, this work-life balance thing yes. has become a bit of a big issue over, over time. But yeah. I think most of us are now wise enough to challenge it yes. and come with Great. other concepts that make more sense Great. in this yes. world that we live in. Maybe Absolutely. we're rationalizing for ourselves. I don't think yeah. so. But, um, you know, we have to find solutions. Because if you don't consciously figure this out in your life, the world won't figure it out for you. I agree. Your, your business environment won't necessarily. Because the, the pressures, and the, it's just so huge on businesses to perform and do well. Yeah. And I think what, what created the, the, the um, I almost think the, sometimes the tension between the two is people try to separate, separate themselves from business and personal. Yeah. And if you look at the, just the terminology work-life balance, 
in my mind, it was like, well, I've got to give 50% to work. I've got to give 50% to, to my personal commitments. And, in this, and when the times that it was 70% business and, and 30% personal, I was uncomfortable. I was unhappy. Yeah. Um, it created stress. It created of the original strain. belief, you know. Exactly. Mm. So the harmony was, to your point, around the happiness. Um, and also I found, you know, just communicating in advance, planning. Um, you know, somebody said to me another day, and I was trying to get into your calendar, but it's booked all, you know, in three months' time. I said, yes, I will review it and see whether I can, I can adjust, knowing what the main priorities on that calendar is for the next three months and, you know, what can I move, what can I keep. Um, so not also being completely rigid. I do believe that you've got to be, there's got to be an element of, of, yeah. of nimbleness. Um, yeah. To be able to maintain an element of harmony, um, speaking yeah. for myself. Let your diary serve you. Don't serve your diary. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Bridget, what describes authentic leadership to you? Give us some statements. I think being genuine. I think um, being real. Um, being vulnerable. So as leaders, sometimes we think that you can't be vulnerable. You've got to be perfect all the time. You've got to have all the answers all the time. I don't think that's right. Sometimes mm. you won't have the answers. Okay. And sometimes when you're working in a team, the answers will emerge from the groupthink process. So for me, being authentic is very, very important. And, you know, you speak of, you use the term happiness. Mm. I think it will be very difficult to be happy if you're not authentic. So is being vulnerable a product of being real and genuine? I think so. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you are simply human. And I think people can relate to you better if they can see your mm. human side and your vulnerability. I, I guess if I'm genuine and real, I'll tell you, I don't know what the solution is yes. here. If I'm not, I won't. So there's a strong correlation yes. there. Yes. This thing about being vulnerable is an interesting thing. Uh, I still see leaders at the top find that they don't want to be vulnerable. Because they still need to look like they know everything, you know? Yeah. Being vulnerable doesn't mean being weak. No. There's a difference. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, if you look... Everywhere in society, there are vulnerabilities everywhere. And yeah. it's okay. At the moment in South Africa, we feel very vulnerable on the political front. But we're working through it. Mm. And I, I firmly believe we will get through it. So it's okay to be vulnerable and maybe, to acknowledge it. Yeah, maybe, um, Jan, vulnerability equals level of humility? Yes, and I think um, vulnerability, depending on what it is, and who it's with, because I think people will also choose where, you know, leaders will choose where to be vulnerable, in which forums to be vulnerable. I find, um, to Bridget's um, previous comment, that m the people that I, that, I, that, that I lead, for example, in, in my team, which is quite diverse, um, understand me to know who I am, what I stand for. They understand my beliefs. They understand the correlation between my beliefs and the beliefs of the organization or the organizational culture. But they will measure my vulnerability and, to a certain extent, my, the authenticity of my leadership where what I say and what I do, literally there's a consistency. Yeah. So even if the consistency – give you a bad example. Even if my consistency was to uh, be malicious, that consistency is what they would have defined as the authenticity in my leadership style. Mm. Um, if I choose to be if, – if my leadership style um, – is one of being quite a little bit more virtuous. Um, if uh, um, if that was uh, something that I stood for, they would acknowledge it through the engagement with me. Yeah. I also find with vulnerability, they must understand that I'm being truthful and they recognize my vulnerability for, for what it is. Mm. And not that I'm just mm. behaving as if I'm vulnerable to try and lure them in. So, And I think that vulnerability mustn't equal defeatism. 
So I can't say, I mean, this morning I was having a conversation with one of the staff members in my team, and I, I said to him, I made a mistake. I really made a mistake. But and now I've acknowledged I made a mistake, now I fix it. What am I doing about it? Exactly. So don't come and sit here and say, I really don't know what to do. Yes. Oh. And then you do nothing. You know, okay. But this is what I'm doing to find out what I need to yes. do. Or I'm here to ask you what you exactly. think I could do. Yeah. Bridget, what else describes authentic leadership to you? I think authentic leadership is also um, about maybe in a very genuine way, understanding the context that we're operating so, for instance, if you look at uh, conversations around gender parity, there's a big conversation now going on uh, overseas at the moment around equal pay, for instance. So I think just being open and honest enough about acknowledging areas where things need to change and improve and, and just being authentic about it. We can mm. acknowledge there's disparity between pay levels for men and women. And maybe because we are authentic, we can say, well, in line with our values, we now need to tackle this. So, so just the general point I'm making. Okay, mm. openness, honesty uh, takes courage to do that, yes. uh, but, but uh, recognizing the elephant in the room Yes. and then tackling it. Yes, and I like what you said earlier about humility. I think mm. that's so important. And giving yourself the permission to be humble. It's okay. It's okay mm. to be humble. You can still be a very powerful leader even though you're sometimes humble. What I see you bring in there is the context. Mm. So sometimes when you look at the broader context, you don't like it and you try and ignore it. But uh, you're taking it head on. Yes. So the broader context conversation around in some businesses now it will have to be about land or it will have to be about whatever the political context is. Yeah. Nothing is in isolation anymore. Yes. Economics are not isolated from politics. Politics are not isolated from society. Yeah. And, and so we can go on and on. These things are all integrated, hugely. Yeah. The other point I also want to make around authentic leadership um, and just being an authentic person is, you know, I think when I was a lot younger, I didn't understand this, but as I matured, I, I understood that um, it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail because failure meant you tried. It meant you tried as opposed to being afraid of trying and never getting anywhere because you're afraid to try something new. What you need to do when you fail, and it happens to just about everybody, sometimes you will fail. Sometimes you will try and lose 10 kilos and you will fail. What's important is that you've got to learn the lessons around why you failed. You've got to do that reflection. And once you reflect on it, the next time you try, you'll be better. That's a powerful statement. Uh, your, your environment... Um supports you in that or not so i know the americans for example have huge respect for failing entrepreneurs in fact yes. if you come to me for investment capital and you haven't failed before i'm not even going to invest in you that sort of attitude in south africa not so not so much failure is seen as a huge shock and uh, but um we've got to change our, our view of that absolutely um what fail what did you learn from it what Mistakes won't you make again? There's lots of good questions you can ask around that. Yeah. But failure in the corporate environment, maybe you thought you'd get a position, a breakthrough, and you didn't. Yes. Um, maybe you leave the corporate environment, start a franchise, and you fail, and you realize, it's not for me. Can I come back, McDonald's? Do you have a place for me? I'm, yeah. I'm more corporate person. Yes. But uh, the humility and the courage to admit it and move yeah. on. And I guess, you know, when we're on our deathbed and you're looking back, I mean, yeah. Will you be happier if you took those opportunities and you tried something new versus never having tried anything? Absolutely. Anything else that do you describe authentic leadership? 
Authentic leadership. I think we've covered it. I don't know if you have any more points. Anything Jane? else from your side, Joanne, before we just look at one or two broader aspects? I think, I think you guys have covered it. Uh, I do, I sometimes when I think of authentic leadership, it's around leading outside of the title versus leading with a title on the forefront. Mm. Um, I think people very often look to the senior executives uh, for being the role players of authentic leadership. And I'm of the belief, um, just reflecting on my own career, that you demonstrate that at any levels of the organization. Mm. Um, and not waiting to be get to become uh, you know an executive or uh, in a, someone in a, in a in a senior role to be able to de- to demonstrate that elements of authenticity. I think it's learned along the way, um, and it very often speaks to some of the commentary you hear from you know out there that uh, some of the jargon around you know leading from where you stand as yeah. an example. Yeah, I, I, my my feeling is that an authentic leader can lead and influence without title. If you cannot do that, then then it doesn't mean you're totally unauthentic, but you certainly don't fall within that bracket of an absolute authentic leader. Yeah. And uh, and there's too much of that out there. Where title, I mean, in fact, my view is strongly that title becomes the biggest barrier in your leadership. People don't tell you what they ought to. People tell you what they think you want to hear. People care too much what you think of them because you have influence and power over them and so on and so forth. So you end up building a barrier between you and your people because of that very title that you always sought as a youngster. So you start realizing, I'm the last one to find out what the heck is really going on in this business or in this division or in that place because people – hide it from you and try and figure it out before you come because they want you to have a certain view of them. And I've written about this extensively. Uh, you know, title can be the biggest barrier in one's life. Okay. So let's go broader. I mean, we do have two women sitting in, in front of me. Uh, Bridget, you are part of McDonald's Global Women's Leadership Network. Actually, um, that's Joanne. Oh, Joanne is, yeah. So, I, but, so, so you're not, Bridget. No. Somehow you've become part of that. Why, Joanne? I mean, what's the purpose of that specific forum? So the purpose of the forum is, is to literally play a little bit more of an, advi- an advisory role to the CEO of McDonald's globally. So Steve Easterbrook, the McDonald's uh, CEO, is actually uh, a champion for change within the workplace. Um, and part of our role is, is to assist. We've got about 50 key positions globally that we review and identify who are, you know, what's the level of diversity at um, within um, that level of the organization and then who's the future pipeline. With the ultimate objective of, of having a bigger impact on a global um, mm. level when it comes to having uh, executive, female executives in, in very senior and in board positions okay. across the globe, not just McDonald's. All right. So there's a specific role there. I'm... I'm reflecting back on the conversation with Tuli from SPA, who did a PhD on herself as a case study. There's a certain methodology that allows you to do that. She came up with it, and I'd never remember it. But uh, the question was, am I a thorn or a rose in the work environment? Or both. So we had a we had a conversation about that because I had just bumped into an executive of another large listed entity, um, a black woman, who was the only woman on that executive for some time. Mm-hmm. And, and you could see, just see she couldn't wait to tell me how challenging it was. She made herself vulnerable and she shared it with me. Mm-hmm. So what's your experience? Now, I may, it might be different inside McDonald's. Yeah. We feel, well, I, don't, I haven't felt a lot of barriers, but you come from the outside very much so, uh, Bridget. Mm-hmm. Is this, it's still a challenge. 
isn't it? I mean, you, do you find women executives, they struggle. They try and maybe ignore it. They try and act like, no, it doesn't affect me at all, being in this team with mostly men maybe. But let's be it's – it's an elephant in the room. It's, it's another broader context that we have to look at and say there is an, is an issue yeah. that we have to deal with here. I think that in the course of my career, there've been, I've lost count, but there've been so many instances where on an executive team, I was the only female or I was the only person of color. I mean, that happened to me so many, so many times. And um, I mean, in time, you learn certain tricks of the trade. So for me, one of my tricks of the trade, um, I would say to young people out there, if you're going into a new company, if you're going into a new environment, a new organization, one of the things you've got to do very, very quickly is establish your credibility. Mm. When you establish your credibility, people will take you seriously. And when they take you seriously, a lot of that energy around the fact that you're slightly different from a gender point of view, from a race point of view, will evaporate. So I always say to people, I mean, execution is very, very important. Executing in a way that is high quality, extremely timeless, is very, very important. And you've got to use that as a lever to establish your credibility. Because when people see you adding value, the conversation changes. Now, I remember sitting in front of a young black executive of a listed company who sadly was murdered recently. And, um, and he, he was exceptionally strong on, on, on execution, on execution. But I could also see that he's going to have to grow soon in terms of not being overly fanatical about it. Yes. Because he, he'd almost take over people's jobs. You know, he didn't delegate enough, yeah. perhaps, or trust others enough, perhaps. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying exactly like that, but, but you can, you can become so fanatic about it that it, that, that it stands out as, as an insecurity. Yes. So establish your credibility is, yes, yes. execute, yes. but with confidence and, and with peace, you know, yes. and with, and you, you get there, you, you earn it. You don't yes. just decide it one day, wake up on a Monday morning, I'm now going to be at peace with my, my execution yeah. ability. And the mm. question is, do you want to be the sole superstar in the room? That's a very yeah. isolated position to be in. Insecure so position. don't I mean, go off on your own and just do your own mm. thing. Execute collaboratively. Okay, when we end off, you can jump in on this, Joanne. But Bridget, what are one or two interesting things maybe uh, – innovative things you're doing in your organization to equip your leaders well enough for now and this future brand of McDonald's yes. and the future world that we, we know is dominated by this phone and by yes. Internet of Things and digital age. Yeah. What, what are you doing to equip them? Oh, there are quite a number of things we're doing. So um, we're very fortunate that in McDonald's um, we invest a lot in our people. So we, we use a lot of our capital to invest in people. So we've got a number of... Um, programs that we're running, leadership development programs that we're running, one in collaboration with the University of Cape Town, a business school, uh, one in collaboration with WITS, and yesterday Joanne and I were at the launch of a new program for junior mm-hmm. managers or consultants called Kulisa. And uh, we're launching this program, and what this program has been designed in such a way that we understand that we're living in a digital time, a digital space. So we've incorporated solid classroom time, but also components that include short bursts of learning, seven-minute learning session, because people are busy. The attention spans, as you know, in the modern era, attention spans are not as long as they used to be. So you've got to get people to learn very, very quickly and learn in a way that is powerful so that the, the lessons are absorbed. 
So that's how we've designed this particular program. It Sounds is a lot of it is actually going to happen on the phone. A lot of the learning is going to happen on the phone. Coaching on the phone. Jan, um, you can build on that if you want, but just kind of end off with your last. We're in the right at the end. Your last message to people. Anything you feel in your gut you want to say to leaders out there, women leaders, perhaps it doesn't matter. I think the one thing that stands out for me and the, and the one thing I, want, I probably want women leaders to remember is two things. The first one is hope is not a strategy. You know, define what it is, what success is for yourself, uh, and then go for it. My second one would be um, not being so stuck on the glass ceiling and sometimes trying to establish, is it a glass ceiling or is it my sticky floor? I think for me, if I think of my career, the, the most interesting piece for me was when um, I realized, oh, I am the only woman in the room. Because I didn't walk in the room as a woman. I walked in based on the role and the contribution I needed to make. The men in the room did not necessarily engage with me from um, my gender. Um, you know, they needed the, I needed to contribute in a mental perspective. And maybe the organization was comfortable to, to um, acknowledge women in a boardroom regardless of um, color and age because I was quite young. I was young when I joined McDonald's. I was 24 years old. So I've, because I had not necessarily had so much corporate exposure when I joined the, 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 the corporate world, I did not necessarily look at um, the individuals in the room through the lens of their race and um, even their gender. And sometimes, you know, if I was referred to as the female, I'd go, oh, I'm the only female in, in, in the room. Wouldn't okay. you know? My goodness. Exactly. Okay. Surprise, surprise. Thank you. Bridget, final comment, 30 seconds. So one of the things I'm actively working on, because I think in life you should always be learning, you should always be trying new things, always be evolving. I'm working on my social capital, improving my social capital. So extending my networks, because networks are actually powerful, working on my, my relationships out there, because that's very, very important. But I'm finding a lot of gratification in using my networks to benefit other people. So if I know two people could possibly form a wonderful business merger together to make that introduction, because I can. Mm. I'm the common link between them. Um, so I think one of the things I would encourage women and people in general, especially young people, to do is work on your social capital. It's very important. Joanne DeVette, Chief Operations and Supply Chain Officer at McDonald's, and Bridget Dagama, Chief People Officer, thank you so much. What a wonderful conversation, just relaxing you in the boardroom. And um, you seem to be relaxed fairly early on. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your time, and we look forward to sharing this with the world. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Adrian. Thank you very much. That's the Leadership Platform. Uh, thank you for joining us, and of course, join us every single week, 12 to 1. Take an early lunch break if you're in South Africa. Otherwise, it's a little bit different if you're in another country or all over the world. But uh, do join us every single week. Thank you so much. Cheers, everyone. This is CliffCentral.com.